Welcome to episode 150 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is Jordan Tresky. This is the second of two podcast episodes we put out this week. Those of you who have already listened to the first will know the reason why you have a pre-recorded intro is we decided to split these two up to condense the time a little bit. Um, the reason for that is, as promised last week, this is our full breakdown of the Western Conference. What we've done is we've talked through all 15 teams, given our win predictions for the season. Basically an attempt to help you all to get to know the Bucks opponents out West a little bit better this year. It is still pretty long, this podcast, as you'd imagine, for talking about 15 different teams. We've done our best to make it as tight as possible, but hey, if you can't get it all done in one sitting, pause it, come back and revisit, there's plenty of good stuff in there. Now though, let's get into it, let's start off, we'll work our way from number 15 through to number 1. We're going to take a break from talking about the books, something we very rarely do on this podcast. Instead, we're going to go out west, just like most of the talented players in the NBA seem to do now. (laughs) We got our shades on, looking at the desert, driving in our Corvette. See a cactus or two. Have we got one Corvette? Are we sharing the Corvette? Are we You're driving the together? Corvette. You're Is driving the Corvette. Okay. And I'm in like a, a buggy or one of those cabs like on a motorcycle that's needlessly on the Corvette. I by the way, did you notice I was going in a little bit of a Sam Elliott voice there? If that's what you thought that sounded like. A little I I said a little bit. It's what's for dinner. Wow. Okay. Well, if people are still listening. <laughs> as we do Yeah, that was our that is that was our kind of spoiler alert saying we're going into the West. If you can't handle it, uh you know the uh heat. Yeah, if you can't handle yeah, if you don't want to know how the West is going to unfold this year. How the West will be won. Pause the podcast now. Come back at the end of the season. And enjoy our discussion then. This is our third year in a row doing this. We're going to go team by team. We'll try out our win predictions. We're doing West this week. We will turn back East next week. At the end of next week, we'll also throw in our awards predictions, conference champions, NBA champions, all that good stuff. So... I guess you could consider this as our uh, winning six season preview podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
Jordan, let's waste no more time because you kept me waiting an hour while you finalized your Western Conference predictions. Let's start out at the bottom and work our way up. Very much like how this podcast has evolved over the years. <laughs> Who is your number 15 team and how many wins do they have? Drum roll, please. The Phoenix Suns, 23 wins. My 15th place team is the Phoenix Suns with 22 wins. Oh. So this is a strange amount of synergy to begin with from Jordan and I. Um, we might have had to just stop this whole thing now if I had also said 23 wins. <laughs> Literally the podcast just explodes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the only time it was likely to happen. Let's talk about the Suns. What has you so down on the Suns? They have Devin Booker, promising shooting guard. Josh Jackson, fourth overall pick. Kind of a, uh, I don't know what you'd call him. He's a prototypical <laughs> modern NBA wing. Yeah, yeah. Just one, the big question is his shooting stroke. Uh, yeah. Um, what is of use to them? Eric Bledsoe. You know, provided that he doesn't, you know, sit out the last two months of the season uh, for no apparent reason than to call it "quote unquote" injury. Um, You're out of I'm players losing, already. Yeah, I'm losing. Steve. I mean, they've got they've got Dragon Bender. That is true. Mar- Ruth Marquise Cray Marquise Chris Steakhouse. The thing I have with the Suns is I don't know if a lot of their young players are worth having. You could point to Marquis Chris and go, oh, they've got Marquis Chris. You could point to Dragon Bender. Um, I mean, okay, Josh Jackson, it's too early to make any sort of statements like that. But I think Alex Len was another example. I just feel the Suns go down this road. TJ Warren, even though he is proven, he's kind of in that like weird... Did they extend him on way they too much money? I feel the Suns have been picking the guys who you really you will look back on and go, yeah, that's the guy we wouldn't have wanted to pick in that range. They'd be doing it consistently for another a number of years now. And amazingly, Ryan McDonough still has his job. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, th- I feel like they have built a lot of team, like kind of the, <laughs> this may be very unfair to do them, but it feels like they're the team of like, they could have had, or like when you talk about like a draft pick, like Michael Jordan went to the Bulls. Think about the the two teams that had that picked. You know, obviously Hakeem was the number one, but Sam Bowie, all this stuff. Like kind of like the 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 throwaway comparison. I feel like a lot of their the, a lot of the roster of the guys like not not including like Booker or I guess Josh, Josh Jackson now, and who knows on Bender and Chris and. TJ Warren and Tyler Eulis, all this stuff. I feel like they built a lot of those guys that are just like, they could have had this guy, but they went kind of like the safer route. And obviously they haven't had, I think their best choice. Was Bender the third overall pick last year or fourth? Um, I think he was third. That's what I thought too. Fourth. fourth. fourth so they pick. haven't had a top three pick. Well, I mean, that's kind of bad look, but I mean, that's also... Um... <laughs> I think we talked about this a number of times, but 
the Suns were really like everyone remembers the process as the Sixers thing. That was just because the Suns turned out to be incredibly inept at tanking that they got rid of all of their players, brought on what were supposedly contracts, and the contracts turned out to be probably better players than they had in some ways. And yeah. that was their season where they like, I mean, actually, their luck has been pretty diabolical when you think that was the year they had this incredible run in a really competitive West and just missed the playoffs, ending up in the spot where they didn't get the playoff money, they didn't really get that extra push for kind of momentum with your Sorry, fan base. Thomas and uh, that drove away Goran Dragic, and they inexplicably traded Isaiah Thomas. And then they yeah, ran the night was... trade, which never worked out. They've done a lot of yeah. really weird things, like really weird things. I think extending upon that, I don't know if Earl Watson is remotely an NBA coach. There's no evidence to that right now. And it's it's kind of a... That's not a good thing to be saying when you've got this team, which is basically just endless amounts of clay that needs to be molded. You know, you have nothing else. So it's not like... It's not like you're relying on... Okay, I could I could kind of bring that back though and say, okay, they do have something else. They have Jared Dudley and they have Tyson Chandler. You can't, yeah, they have, they have you good can't rely on those two veterans to coach your team though. Yep. And it kind of feels like rather than being the guys who bring them through the locker room, it's almost like they're kind of saying, Okay, you need to sort of do a lot on and off the court with this group. Um, probably more than you should have to do. There's also, I mean a guy like Alan, Alan Williams, who is quite good, I like. He turned out to be pretty solid for them last year. But they go and bring him back on... You know, I don't think they know what level they're at. They just shouldn't... And he's hurt, too. Yeah, you know, I don't think just his caught up. He, I don't... He wasn't hurt when he signed the deal, right? It was after, yeah. He got hurt after. I think it was, like, so before it, training camp even officially started. Again, that's some really bad luck for the Suns. But at the same time... Why are you giving Alan Williams three years, 17 million when you're just kind of in no man's land? You don't need to do that, uh, particularly when you've got guys like Marquis Chris, Dragon Bender. Maybe one of them ends up being a five longer term. You've still got Alex Len there. It's just, it's a very weird group, and I don't know what there is going forward. I know how much some people really love Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker is very good, but he's nowhere near good enough. Not for the rest of the talent on this team. I don't yeah. think he's a guy who's single-handedly going to pull the Suns out of it. And, and he's still, he's still like twenty years old. Right. I mean, that's the thing is like, he can still put up like twenty points per game or something close to that, honestly. And you can still tag him as the next big thing for the Suns and stuff like that. But it's he's still incredibly young, and he's not a he's not a an incredibly well-rounded player. No, I, I don't think longer term. That team. Longer term, I don't think he should be a first option. Yeah. Like, he's perfect as a second option. He's a great shooter, a really good score. He's what you want your second option to be. But I feel you need someone who has just has a little bit more in their arsenal, who's a little bit more well rounded to lead your team forward. Uh, Eric Bledsoe isn't that guy anymore. I don't know what Eric Bledsoe is at this point. He's kind of drop off in recent years it's not even that he's played all that bad it's just i guess being on the suns I mean he's fallen away into obscurity yep it's just a very very strange situation 
And when you look at some of the other teams and teams we'll probably get to pretty soon that are also going to be down the bottom of the West, I just think they have more obvious and tangible routes to becoming relevant and improving and getting better this year than the Suns have. Maybe all, Josh Jackson, Orlando West. Right. Maybe Josh Jackson is an absolute stud and will be straight away and everything that was spoken about him pre-draft would make you say, okay, well, maybe that's a possibility. But they need him to be. They can't have Josh Jackson be the latest in those long line of Sam Bowie's, as we said, um, that they just have a knack for picking off. If he does become that this year, their approach in next year's draft should be, who do we want to pick? Okay, that's exactly who we won't pick. Anything else on the Suns? I, I think going back to Earl, the Earl Watson point, I mean, I believe he is, for a owner who is notoriously cheap, I believe he is the lowest paid coach in the league. And I feel like that's – he's not the greatest X and O's, guys. A lot of, he has a lot to prove himself, and I think that's – there's a reason why he may be the coach. I, I feel like for the Suns or where they're at, that's the only position where he could – get a job of the league. Yeah, I mean, he can be a, he was I think valued as an assistant all that stuff and kind of like this motivating guy which you could see like there's been great stories about him and players like him. Players like him and kind of what he's been through. There was a I know Zach Lowe wrote about him and his his harrowing this story about his brother being murdered and all this stuff and he sounds like a great great dude obviously. But uh as far as being a basketball coach, I mean there's a lot to kind of prove on that end do you want the players to like the coach i don't know i think that that really is an assistant coach's role i mean that might be too stereotypical cliched kind of good cop bad cop way of looking at any sort of leadership dynamic but a coach is going to have to make decisions that are going to upset people along the way along the course of a season there's only so many minutes to go around so many so many shots to go around particularly when you're on a bad team i mean do you want the players to like your coach? It may be my own kind of biases. It's probably not fair to or Watson or others like him that will come in the future. But I know you're saying he's a cheap alternative. You could have got any assistant almost around the NBA. And they would be an equally cheap alternative, but maybe with more experience or different routes there. I, I just think it's probably unfair on Earl Watson that he's been cast into this role too soon. He could have done with continuing his... Uh, his development and maybe going on to an organization where the coaching would have been a better blueprint for him to follow in terms of that development. And you have to remember too, remember the weirdness that was going on with Jeff Hornacek when they Mm -hmm. kind of were falling off and they were going to fire him and then didn't fire him and then fired him like inexplicably, like maybe a month later or something like that. There was just a lot of weirdness that was going on before he became the head coach and then assumed it in, an interim basis and then obviously permanently. So I think that just kind of carried over into kind of being like the decision-making around him becoming the team's coach is just, it's, it's very indicative of how the Suns got to where they are right now over the last four years. Kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Let's move to 14. Jordan, your 14th place team in the West is. Drum roll, please. We're not doing drum rolls. Oh, oh. The Sacramento Kings. How many wins? 26 wins. 
Um, my 14th place team in the West is the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm. 26 wins. Mm. The Kings are my 13th place team. Uh, who's your 13th place team? The Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. Um, let's start out with... Let's start out with the Kings. We'll go with yours first. We'll go with the Kings. So I have the Kings coming in 13th place. You had them at 26 wins. I have the Kings at 33 wins. Oh, I believe that is matching last year's total, by the way. I'm people who listened to this podcast before. Definitely people who've listened to my last two appearances on um, our good friend and fellow occasional contributor on this podcast, Ty Windish. His Time Out with Ty podcast will know that I'm in love with the Sacramento Kings. I just think this is going to be a pretty kind of a pretty funky team this year who are going to find ways to do things and be a lot of fun to watch. I really like Dave Yeager as a coach and maybe this is the flip side of the Sun situation because I like the coach. I feel they have lots of good young talent, but maybe they just made more out of some of what they've got in spite of not having the top picks. Like this is a team who like the Suns haven't got to pick top three. Is there anyone top three on the roster? No. Not even top top five. Or, or I guess De'Aaron Fox is top five, but he's was, the only one. But he healed was sixth, was he? Yes. So they've kind of, okay, they've had good picks every year, but they haven't been able to kind of just pick off from the cream of the crop. They're trying to rebuild something out of that. And they've got a really intriguing group of young talent. With their good coach, though, they've also got an eclectic group of veterans, but just more guys to share the load than, say, the Suns have. You've got George Hill, who uh, isn't just a veteran. He is an excellent NBA point guard. You have Garrett Temple, a really effective role player who, by all accounts, has been one of the lone voices of reason and leadership in the Kings locker room in recent seasons. You've got Zebo to teach the young Kings a completely different kind of leadership. But I even like that in itself. Having a guy who can fire them up and show them a little something different at times is also worthwhile. You've kind of got all sides of the coin there. Even beyond that, you've got, say, someone like Costa Kufus, being around the league a long time. Vince Carter, too. Vince Carter, too. How did I forget Vince Carter? They've really got all bases covered on that. And even the kind of profiles of those players you've got from role players, rotation guys, really solid starters, an absolute superstar in Vince Carter. And then you've got the young talent. And I think they've kind of got this thing going on, which can be a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, maybe it won't work out. They could have four or five guys become really, really good to great NBA players and all of a sudden be this fast-rising team, or they could have five guys with lots of potential who never quite realize it. I think the Kings realize that themselves, though, and that's why they've invested money in the kind of veterans they have. That's why they've decided to kind of double down on Dave Yeager and go, okay, let's give this a really good go because we've got some fun pieces. It's going to be tough for them in the West, but I just think... They've got something here. Um, like De'Aaron Fox is a really exciting young point guard. Plenty of talent. But you don't have to lean on him. 
George Hill can have you be really well positioned in games that you can then maybe bring De'Aaron Fox in against the second unit to get some run early on, to get the feel things, to adjust the NBA pace. Even behind that, another great young point guard, uh, college player of the year last year, Frank Mason III. Interesting option. Uh, if you move further, kind of up to rotation, different positions, you've got Buddy Hill who showed some promising signs late last season post-trade. You'd hope that he would kick on and be an even bigger figure for them this year. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has been an absolute stud in Europe and in the international stage for a number of years now coming across, could be an absolute revelation in the NBA this year. And then you've got this really intriguing just mix of big guys. Scalabizier, Willie Caldy-Stein. Even maybe Georges Papianis is showing signs of life. Who knows? Harry Giles is going to intrigue me until I have to give up. Obviously, the injury, we don't know how much he'll play this year. Uh, we'll we'll see how all of that goes. We don't know how much he'll play in the NBA full stop, but incredibly talented guy they've taken a big swing on. I just love the mix of youth potential and energy and then kind of savvy experience and know-how. This team just screams like must-watch to me because their good moments will be great and their bad moments will be really awful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, when it comes to the Kings, I may not be the most uh, objective considering I do write about them at Hoops Habit. You can find my work there. But I completely echo everything that you said. I think it's really interesting to kind of see the reaction. And obviously not every move is – hardly any move is going to, you know, result in 100 percent uh you know positivity but it was kind of a weird reaction to i think it was a mostly positive reaction when they got these veterans that you know it was like fourth of july or something around there a couple days after free agency started and you're thinking everybody's talking about like all of it they're gonna make the pick worse and all this stuff and i'm just thinking like we're talking about 36 year old zach randolph 40 year old vince carter George Hill is the, the only one, legitimate one who, you know, he's going to be starting for the team right away. He's still a very productive player. The biggest question for him is just staying on the court because he's had these health issues, especially last year with the Jazz. And you're just thinking, like, there's who knows what's how the last couple of months are, how they're going to treat that. Obviously, the, the league has gone in the way of establishing rest rules, and so that's not going to be as big of a problem. But these are still very experienced players that have logged so many minutes in the in the league, and they have so many young talent. They have ten guys on their roster that have are it's either their rookies, second year players, or third year players. Uh, it's it's going to result in some really bad nights, and there's going to be tough decision decisions where they could be really into a game and. You, Jaeger's going to have to figure out, do I roll with a guy like Fox or do I roll with a guy like George Hill? Same thing goes with like Bogdanovich with Buddy Heal, all this stuff. That were, That's where I think a lot of games could be won or lost for them. But, and obviously they're in the West, so that's, it's already daunting enough as is. But there, it's it's coming together. And obviously we were reacting to the DeMarcus Cousins trade uh, during after the All-Star game last year in kind of real time and all that stuff. But looking back at it, you can kind of see just how much that has lifted off of them and just kind mm-hmm. of – I know it's it's 
it's very easy to say to kind of look into these offseason moves and just kind of like they haven't really done anything. Can easily say that. But for the Kings, for a team that has been <laughs> incredibly incompetent for such a long time, they have gone a long way to not only cover the bases with the, the type of players they selected through the draft or even just acquired and all that stuff, but just assembling good front office positions that they need to kind of really get this off the ground and kind of, you know, put everything that, that has gone on for the last 12 years for them, basically, uh, really behind them. And they're not going to make the playoffs this year. They might not even make the playoffs next year. Uh, might, I should just say likely. But things are, you have to start somewhere. And for however long that they try to start over and kind of gone one way and then quickly go back the other way, it really feels like they're kind of sticking to this and are going to see it through with, you know, all the things that they've uh, attained over the last year and more. So it's very encouraging. It might not, there's going to be a bumps along the way, but it's still incredibly encouraging for a team like them. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying as well that as we highlighted, this is a team who haven't had those top picks. So they're going to be yep. bad. They're going to have a good pick as is, but this is a front office and an ownership group that at this point must have just gone what's the point of not adding veterans who can help us win when, you know, even when we're bad, we're not getting those top picks. So doing what they're doing, they don't need more prospects, but they're going to get more is really the way it works out. Like you can look at their group now and just kind of players working out. You could have a starting lineup a few years from now of the Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Scalabizier, Willie Colley-Stein. And you're going to have four to five guys still on your bench potentially as role players like they've got they have got that many options and i mean long term too not even just playing these guys depending on how they play and kind of you know if they're kind of beefing up their potential and kind of standing around the league you never know how they can parlay that into trade more chips. players right yeah, trade, that's uh, and i think that's that's a smart realization as well is you know let's Let's improve. Let's focus on internal development of these young guys. Let's give them minutes to go out and play, not because we want to be bad to get a top pick, but because hopefully we end up in a win-win. That We either find out what these guys can be and they improve, or they improve to a point where we can leverage them into getting something better or kind of fast-tracking ourselves in some way. I, I think it's really wise. Look, they're probably going to, they're definitely going to end up with a top 10 pick this year, probably a top five, I'd say. And maybe this is just a year. Like, this is, they actually, as the veterans are a little bit more productive in the way they approach it, maybe their luck comes off and they win the lottery. And all of a sudden you go and you have a year where you get better on the court and you add a first overall pick or something. Imagine getting a Luka Doncic to add into this group. It's, yeah. it's really, really the right approach they're taking. And maybe, maybe say, in my case, and I'm super high in the Kings, maybe I'm just giving them too much credit for finally making decisions that aren't obviously inept. But they've decided to take a deliberate approach, and neither of us were particularly keen on what they traded the Marcus Cousins for when we first reacted to that. But you're right. It's just proven, look, they needed to move on. More than anything, they just needed to move on. They need to get mm -hmm. to a point where they can just start again. Here they are. Do the Kings have their pick this year? Now I'm just thinking about it. Yeah, they have it. They have it this year. They it's 
2019 where they won't. Okay. Don't the Bucks owe the Kings a second round pick? Sound is that this year? I believe it's 2019. Okay. Actually, it could be this year. It's either I, I, 19 or I think it's this year from the, believe it or not, the Luke Richard and Bamute deal. Um, the yep. Bucks owe the Kings a pick. Anyway, anyway, that's for another day. Don't worry. I see you looking it up, Jordan. We don't even need to know. Let's move it on to the Los Angeles Lakers. I took a lot of that King stuff. I went higher. Why are you higher on the Lakers? Remind everyone, I have them at 26 wins. You have them at 28 wins, which I believe would be a four-win improvement from last year. I'll take your word for it. I uh... I paid very little attention to what teams were doing last year. Two win improvements. Sorry. They, they finished 26 or 56. They're kind of a tough, I mean, they're not going to be good. First of all, I just, I don't know what it is, but about this team, I, I kind of came to this, not just came to the re- realization. And obviously this could be a little reactionary to preseason and summer league. Uh, but that's all we really have to go on. But I really like the, the players that they have gotten in the late first round or early second round, Larry Nance, uh, Zubats, 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 like Zubas Zubats pants. Sorry. Zubats. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Kuzma. Um, I'm here for your jokes. <laughs> I'm forgetting who's another, there's another late player. Why am I forgetting? Uh, anyway, but uh, I just like uh, Josh Hart. Josh Hart, yes, yes. Josh Hart was the guy that I was kind of pulling for for the Bucks to take if he was there. But they just kind of have this intriguing team of kind of very good role players or projecting to be really, really good role players. And then they have obviously kind of the heavy hitters that there's plenty of hype around. Obviously, Lonzo Ball is kind of the the big, the biggest example of that, but they still have Julius Randle, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but just because I think he is an in, interesting player, and in the fact that he's kind of unique, and seeing from a guy that you know we watch Giannis every game, you can see a little bit like that. He brings up the ball with the floor, or <laughs> brings up the ball with the floor, brings the ball up the floor, um, has good you know ball skills, but he's not the greatest shooter, he's not the greatest defensive player, but he's obviously gotten in shape. He's obviously facing a, a contract year. They got KCP. They brought in Burke Lopez for the D'Angelo Russell trade. There's something there with the team, and obviously they're looking at 2018 and trying to attract big names, which we won't go into now. But there's something there, and obviously they don't have their pick too, which I – this is a side tangent. I, I've heard a bunch of over-unders and just kind of season previews and kind of saying, like, that's like a pro for them. Like, they had nothing to lose kind of thing. But at the same time, like, that could – and this goes for, like, a team like the Nets too, obviously. Just because they don't have their pick, they could still be a bad team, which both the Nets and Lakers will be. Um, there's still some kind of albatrosses. I mean, Luol Deng and his contract is still on this team, even though they got rid of Timofey Mozgov. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about it that you can see, like, oh, they they can compete hard. Luke Walton seems to be a good coach, even though last year went really south after kind of a, I think they're like ten and ten to start the season. There's something there with this team, 
I, it's just not going to be this year where they, it you know starts to come together. There may be a little cu- couple games here or there where they you can see where this team can go into. But I don't. I I think two win improvement for where they were last year. It, it would make sense for me uh, to see. I I don't feel there's any cohesion in this team. I don't. I just don't know about the construction of this team. I would agree with that. Um. I don't know if the veteran guys they have are the right kind of guys to give the leadership you're going to need for this many young guys. And I think you're going to have a lot of guys out there playing for themselves. Um, Lonzo Ball, possibly an obvious example. Brandon Ingram, disappointing rookie season for, I guess, for various reasons. He's going to want to come out bigger than ever this year, bigger and better. Julius Randle has plenty to prove. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope has a lot to prove and should be one of the slightly older guys setting example at this point. Someone like Jordan Clarkson is in many ways fighting for his reputation. He's got plenty of money still coming in, so he doesn't have to worry about that. And he might—I mean, he might get traded too. They still have some cap space to clear. I mean, he's a right. You've got big... to find someone to take him. I—I <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know who's just going to take Jordan Clarkson. Just like that. And then someone like, you're right. I mean, uh, Vika Zubac is really interesting. Looked really good late last season. What won't help Vika Zubac is bringing in Brooke Lopez and Andrew Bogut. I, I just... Bogut, I... I don't think so. I don't. And I honestly, I don't... Could be wrong, but I don't think either of those guys are the ideal personality types. I think you've got different personality types, different play types. I just don't think if overall it's going to... I mean, is Bogut, Bogut isn't this, uh, we all know this pretty well, right? I think most NBA people do. Bogut isn't going to kind of sit quietly. I mean, he got weighed by the Mavericks last year. If he's the third choice center, that's going to be a disaster. And he should be the third I, and choice I know, center. I mean, he can't, he's coming off a broken leg too. Yeah, but he's, he's not, he doesn't view things like that. Yeah, that's true. He's a, he's a former first overall pick. I, I understand some degree why he doesn't, but... As much as you can go, oh, it's a good pickup, you know, veteran guy, being around the league, uh, being on the great Warriors team. Perhaps, look, I mean, Luke Walton's going to know better than anyone what he can bring in and how that will work. So maybe I'm I'm wrong in thinking that way. I just, I'm not a fan of the dynamics that I see around this team at all. I just don't quite know exactly how it's going to play out. I'm slightly skeptical about Lonzo Ball. Not longer term, but I think it's almost impossible for a rookie to come in and meet the expectation and not just have the hype ultimately smother him, even if it's not in the most obvious way. And I don't know what rookie has had his expectations in a long time. I don't think the hype has been the same around any rookie since LeBron, maybe? I I think that's maybe KD. I don't think so. I don't think it was. It's it's definitely it, the the difference is the market that he's going to. Right, and that's neither of those guys had to go through that. So you're coming in with all the noise that's around them to begin with, and then you're going to L.A. and it's not just significant because it's L.A. It's significant because he's a UCLA product. So all the expectations that he established in college, you're going to have a massive crossover of fans, and it doesn't help with magic. Magic Johnson's pointing to the Raptors and saying, someday your jersey's going to hang up there. 
Like, I mean, there, there are high expectations. And obviously they compete with D'Angelo Russell, who he did have his fair share of foibles, but still was only like 21. He's still a promising player in every regard. He's a different type of player than Lonzo Ball is, but that's still cutting bait with a somewhat, I guess, somewhat valuable asset. Oh, I think a very valuable asset. I still say very valuable. I hated that trade for the Lakers. I just think that's... I know you don't have picks, so if you don't have a whole lot of picks and you don't want to keep giving away picks, you've got to give players... I just... Like, I mean... Okay, you're dealing with less long-term money, but you're moving off the Timo Mozgov money to bring in Brook Lopez just for a year. But okay, bring him in to crowd up that rotation and then bring Andrew Bogut in as well. That money is going to move. And, you know, maybe all of this is about prioritizing freeing up money for next summer. If that's how they still think, though, they've got problems. You can't think like that you can't operate like that because the reality is you've been bad for quite a number of years now so you can't just assume that you know that jersey is enough to draw everyone in and yep. particularly when you have like someone like paul george uh an LA kid a laker fan who all of this seems just so obvious for but oklahoma city are proving the point they're just going out and showing okay look at all the things we're gonna do are you really gonna leave this to go and play there i'd feel much much less confident by the day if I were the Lakers. I mean, I'd be praying for some sort of disaster in Oklahoma City. And even if that happened, Paul George coming from a year where he saw a GM basically pull off miracles to team multiple superstars together like that, that's not going to just make him go, oh, I'm just going to the Lakers on my own. You know, I'm happy to do that. He's getting a year where expectations are going to be high. He's going to want to continue along that kind of... Along those lines, same about LeBron. I know all the LeBron talk and where he might want to go, and LA is good for him in kind of business and off the court ways. LeBron James cares a lot about winning and about his legacy, and he's got he's come this far <laughs> putting a pretty good career together. He's not gonna kind of throw the final years of his career away to be on a Lakers team that's really just young guys who are nowhere near winning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, I guess, we've kind of stumbled into. But my biggest thing is I just don't know which of the players are going to kind of pull this group true. Like Brooke Lopez is going to score a ton of points. I don't doubt that. But we we know we have years of evidence that will back up. Brooke Lopez isn't just going to win you games. Yep. You play like an all-star in terms of his scoring, his rebounding. It's not going to help make you good. And that's a problem when that's kind of your best really experienced guy. And you've got someone like KCP. Well, KCP, good get for them. You've also got to ask questions though, over how he got there and why the Pistons were prepared to move on in the way that they did. Mm-hmm. Stan Van Gundy is maybe not having the success with the Pistons that many people thought he did when he arrived there. I think we'd all agree though Stan Van Gundy is no moke still, you know. <laughs> he's yeah. a he's a pretty smart basketball guy. If he's decided that's the route for them to take, there's reasons for it. We'll see what happens. I just don't like the dynamics of this team at all. Um I like Luke Walton as a coach. I should probably throw in there, but I just think he's really got his work cut out for him. Shall we move along? Yes. Who do you have in twelfth place, Jordan? Drop no, I'll, I'll cut the bit. The Dallas Mavericks. 32 wins. 
I also have the Dallas Mavericks. I have them at 35 wins. Mm. I guess my only reason for having those extra few wins is Rick Carla. And it's probably quite a few wins. I'm sure you've given them some Rick Carla wins in your total as well. And obviously, uh, the Seth Curry injury doesn't doesn't help this any either in terms of looking at where they're going to come out. They're kind of a tough team to get a handle on. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it didn't get any easier from watching them play in that uh, preseason opener because they actually looked better in some ways, but then you don't know what to buy into. I mean, how much can you really expect of Dirk at this point? Uh, what are you going to get out of Nerlens Noel? What do you feel is the role you give to him? Is Harrison Barnes kind of a guy who can take another step? And what can Dennis Smith Jr. do in his, in his rookie season? I know like uh, Wesley Matthews has already been playing some pretty good stuff in preseason. His health is a reliable, uh, a reliable issue. You know, it's going to come up at some point this year. It comes up most years. So they could just kind of lose all promise in their roster very quickly. You know, a couple of injuries, not even long-term injuries, and the good things in this team very quickly disappear. Ricardo just finds ways to get teams in the mix to be competitive, though. Maybe he'll find a way to do it again. I think he'll find a way to be closer than they should be. But that's probably as far as I can go with it this year. Yeah, I just think, I mean, they're a thin team. It's pretty obvious. I mean, they have a lot of kind of solid to good role players on this team, but how much does that really win you games? And obviously they're building around a new who they hope to be a star. And Dennis Smith, Dirk is kind of entering that final I don't I, I maybe it's not his last season, maybe next year will be, who knows? But he's still he I think last year was one of his fewest games played in a season and lowest minutes total since his rookie year or something like that. And he's, he's going to give, he's going to start for them and all this stuff. And obviously he's their legend, but it doesn't, I don't think he really wins them games at this point. Uh, obviously they have Harrison Barnes who kind of, I think Maybe it's good stats, bad team type guy, but he still had a very impressive season considering just how his, you know flat his uh, tenure with the Warriors just ended. But again, they 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 had to reload through the draft. They had the Nerlens Noel situation, which depending on what you believe and what has been out there and stuff like that, he passed up, passed up a lot of good money that it I don't under stand really i don't think he's going to get that by any means next year i think that kind of could depending on how the season shakes out and you know mark cuban has definitely had his gaps in free agency at more than a few times in the past if he kind of wants to go after a star player and kind of leaves nerland's done well and kind of in the lurch that could create a kind of a weird dynamic but anyway considering the season they're just not that they don't have enough firepower to kind of compete with what I would com- consider competitive teams in the West for playoff spots and stuff like that. They're a year or two away still. And when you have a, again, same thing with Lonzo ball with the Lakers, when you have a rookie point guard that you're building around, chances are you're not going to be that great right away. 
there's more than enough cases to, to show that things take time and all this stuff. He's an athletic specimen by any means, but he still has to get, you know, get through it and all that stuff. So, yeah, they're, they're kind of – it's weird because they are interesting in some respects and with, you know, Dennis Smith and obviously Dirk is just an interesting player no matter what age he is. But they're also kind of just a it's, – it's, I don't know, it's just hard to kind of really – fawn over this team just because where they are at i think your depth point is an important one because i think the biggest problem i have with this team that would stop them from maybe just kind of surprisingly hanging about right around the eight seed and kind of punching way above their weight is they're structured very much like an nba team of like a decade ago and what yeah. i what i mean by that is they basically don't have wings on the roster nope. <laughs> they've got Wes matthews and harrison barnes as proven nba wings and then you've just got this just kind of truckload of combo guards, undersized yep. guards. Um, if we want to put Dennis Smith Jr. in, and then you've got Devin Harris, JJ Bray, Yogi Ferrell, Seth Curry. I mean, I don't quite know if that's sustainable in the NBA. The NBA is a wings league now. I mean, lots of teams will come closer to playing, I mean, the books in particular, playing lineups that will look like five wings essentially and you've got this team here that have got maybe two wings max i don't I, dorian finney smith even i don't know he's on the rosters mr soap opera technically Mister. maybe a small forward didn't he play four he's, in yeah, college i could be wrong on that i don't know if, if i feel he's really uh it's it's just it's a weird kind of roster makeup and i think that's a Maybe the worst place to have a deficiency in your roster in the NBA right now is to not have wings. That's a major problem. That's also the reason we'll why we talk like about very poorly. I would, I'm, I, I reckon. But that's also why, say, Tony Snell gets paid what he gets paid after one good season. Or Gary Harris. Yeah, we'll get to Gary Harris later. Um, uh, we can briefly touch that now, and then I'll say I think that's a very fair contract, and I think the Nuggets yeah. are right to do that because those players are just that valuable. Maybe it's a premium, maybe even more so Gary Harris because he's he plays like an elite wing, but he's also kind of combo guard sized with some of those skills. He can effectively mm-hmm. slot in across those three positions. Uh, so. Yeah, I think, look, we don't need to preach to mostly Bucks fans the value of wings in today's NBA, but that is the league, and the Mavericks don't really have the key ingredients to do that. Uh, the one thing I'd kind of challenge with you is I think Dirk will still win games for this team. The problem is for him to be able to win games, his teammates have to put him in a position to do that. Yeah. And that that may be where they, they fail. Like I'm sure Dirk will have a few great kind of last two minute stretches throughout the season where the Mavs pull out big wins. They could be against the Bucks. <laughs> they probably will be. Uh, the Bucks <laughs> don't do well against the Mavs or haven't done in recent years. That might just be a coaching thing. <laughs> but hey, we'll see what happens. Jordan. I won't say we're motoring along, but we're going along at relative speed compared to years past. Who do you have in 11th? The New Orleans Pelicans. I also have the New Orleans Pelicans. 36 wins. 
I also have 36 wins. Boom. <laughs> this team has Anthony Davis and the Marcus Cousins, Jordan. <laughs> that they do. <laughs> Two top 15 players? Bogey's probably top 15. I feel like. Oh, yeah. I would, I would. I would say they might be, yeah, it could be close to two top 10. Um, and Anthony Davis is probably a top five player right around there, anyway. It's kind of incredible just how you can have that and not have it work, but then that's part of the problem because the Pelicans made that trade without ever thinking about it. That was a trade I did not like the idea of. I wrote about that uh, over a fan site, and soon after it happened, lots of people were like, oh. I can see the fit working out. Both guys can shoot a little bit if one of them takes a plat roll. It just never made sense to me. And it didn't look good last year. They need to make big strides and figure some stuff out if that's to, to change. Drew Holiday came back on a pretty mega contract more because they just couldn't afford to let him go because they wouldn't have got anyone of his caliber to replace it and then they really would have been in trouble. And it's left them in a really rough spot, I think, in terms of the options they have on their roster. I'm guessing this was the team you were alluding to when you said we get to another team with wing troubles pretty soon. Yes. <laughs> they actually have wings, though. They're just not as good as they'd need them to be. I They're think the clipped Mav- wings. The Mavs don't have wings. Metaphor. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the Pelicans have Eton uh, Moore. Tony Allen now. Interesting pickup. Uh, Dante Cunningham. Didn't Ian Clark go there? Yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a wing. Um, Dante yeah. Cunningham, Solomon Hill on his deal from he's last year. Hurt. They've got players, though. They have got, like, solid wings. Just none of them have delivered for them up until now. Yeah. And they really need a big jump forward from at least two of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. There's just something about this team that they've gone all in. They have put their chips in the middle of the table, so to speak. But there's been so many things that have kind of accumulated to the point that they had to kind of go all in for Cousins. And I just think this only ends in just complete combustible uh, (laughs) – just – an explosion the size of I don't know it's it's there's just there seems to be it's you can they had the best intentions to kind of focus around those two guys for obvious reasons uh because they are the most talented players on their team and they've even brought in Chris Finch who was quote-unquote the Jokic whisperer with the Nuggets last year and kind of was a played a big part in kind of turning that around and kind of focusing on where Jokic was for the Nuggets last year. <clears throat> but as you, as we talk about, they have never been able to avoid injury issues for who knows how long. They have these tailored contracts that are continuing to hamstring everything that they have done. They're put into back in the corner. Obviously, you can make jokes about Drew Holiday and just the contract that he ultimately got. But they were in the position that if he left, they would have been dead before the ship even sank, really. Everybody could talk about them, you know, the great experiment not ultimately working. But if Drew Holiday left them, I mean, it wouldn't have worked without even just seeing what it could be. Um, and obviously, that goes beyond of the whole 
what's going on with Alvin Gentry, I don't think he's I, I, I think we I think for how Monte Williams was considered as a coach, he was fi- probably considered at best an average coach. I think that move has kind of sunk them even more. And obviously Del Demps and the the strange ownership situation. There's just a lot of weird things swirling around this uh franchise for a very long time. And they could ultimately be a competitive team. They're going to be in the mix for a roster or playoff spot for, I would hope, is the majority of the season because I think it's an interesting team no matter what. But there's still so many obstacles that they have to get over that they're going to have – Gentry's going to have the thinnest leash, thinnest leash of any coach in the league. Del Dems – it could go for Del Dems too. There's just so many things that can make this so combustible – very quickly if things get out of hand and I just don't see them ultimately prevailing. Yeah. I just think like the biggest thing with the moves to bring Boogie Cousins in is it was a move of desperation for so many reasons on the part of so many people desperate move from the, from the owners who are trying to find some reason to energize uh, the fan base and kind of, I think maybe on the low key side of a keep the franchise on stable footing in New Orleans. Um, it's just never kind of worked. And just look, there's obvious reasons for that. Um, I think kind of Katrina as being a very obvious reason of something that the NBA got that kind of. There's a whole lot of strange factors. We don't need to dive too deep into it now. But if you look at even the trial period that the NBA essentially had in New Orleans. Various different factors have thrown teams there and have kind of then taken away from the appeal of teams. It's it's been a weird mix. You know, there's it's not been quite as reliable, I guess, to draw meaningful conclusions on because there's a lot of things in there that haven't been quite normal circumstances. And maybe you couldn't just hang your hat on every piece of evidence and data that would have come at it from a business side moving on from that though back to that trade as i said big kind of gamble on the owner's part you can view it as a move where del demps is desperately trying to do something to keep his job you could view it as a move where del demps and the owners together are desperately trying to do something to keep anthony davis in new orleans when his contract expires there's just a whole host of reasons and none of those things add up to the right reasons to make moves. You know, it's not one of those that you go, yeah, that's the right motivation. I think beyond that, it's kind of like bringing Rajon Rondo in and probably playing Drew Holiday at the two then quite a bit this year. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, if you're playing this ultra big lineup with two bigs up top, Okay, both guys can shoot, but they're not good enough shooters to make it a seamless fit there. The last thing you want to do is bring Rajon Rondo in as your point guard. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not it's not even and... you've got it's not like you've only got I think Rajon Rondo would have made more sense pre Demarcus Cousins trade. If you just wanted another point guard option who was talented enough as a passer to be able to find Anthony Davis when the opposing team know that all they have to do is stop Anthony Davis. You've got two legitimately all-star, like uh, all-NBA team caliber big guys. 
you can be more inventive. Teams won't just be able to stop both guys. They can't double-team both of them. Shooting was more important than what you're going to get out of Rajon Rondo. And that's not even mentioning what could happen if this turns sour and you've got Rajon Rondo and Boogie Cousins in a locker room together. Not that it's the first time that's happened, but didn't work out all that great in the past. You've also got Tony Allen in the mix now. I think this blows up sooner rather than later. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I I, I, I think... I don't think Boogie and Anthony Davis are both on this team by the end of the season. You don't think both you don't think both are? I mean one will probably still be there. Yeah. But uh, they won't be together on this team by the end of the season. I I I could definitely see that. And the other thing too, you brought up the whole Rondo Cousins kind of dynamic. They're going to play fast. And that was kind of that was how George Carl did with the Kings and look how that Treated them. It's it's just. And, but also playing fast. Why would you? You can't play fast with two big guys, even if they are exactly. really athletic, mobile big guys. It's like it hasn't even worked when it was just Anthony Davis. That was the whole big reason to kind of bring in Anthony, or Anthony Alvin Gentry over Monty Williams to kind of you know come to modern NBA pace and all that stuff. Well, there's a reason why even the Warriors' debt lineup has Draymond Green at the five rather than a traditional center. You know, that's not just that's not just a token thing, kind of viewing them as players, which everyone probably looks at it that way very often because Draymond Green is obviously an excellent player and you've got to find a way to get Iguodala on the floor. It's about more than that, though. It's about you're getting five smaller guys, more mobile guys. It's... Not all about their skills, although in that team's case, their skills are obviously decisively important to making them so much better than everyone else in the league. It's also just the general shape and feel of your lineup. And you're not going to find an easy match with pace with two guys as big as Boogie and Anthony Davis. And then we're not even mentioning like Drew Holiday's injury history for how reliant this team is on him. And I mean, that's not saying that Anthony Davis hasn't had injury problems. Uh, even Boogie Cousins has had occasional injury problems. I think it's also worth adding for having those two guys, their front court depth is train wrecks of beyond. Omar Ashik has Crohn's disease that, that came out, came out last week. They, I, that's I didn't indefinite. That. Yeah. So he might, have, he, I don't think he's ready to, he'll be ready to play to start the year. So There's then you've just, got, you've got Alexis Aginsa and Czech Jallo. That's it basically, isn't it? Sounds right. Who's their back of four? I'm on their depth chart in ESPN right now, and they just have checked Jallo. That's it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they'll probably end up playing like Solomon. Oh, Solomon Hill's injured, isn't he? Yep. I don't know. I, it's not going to be good. Um, like, they probably shouldn't be as high as we even have them ahead of those other teams, but that's just like. That's benefited the doubt for just having two players as good as Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis, that they are just going to find ways with some games. But there's real potential for it to get really bad in a hurry. Who do you have in 10th place, Jordan? The Utah Jazz. 39 wins. Okay, I found my first big problem with Jordan's list. In 10th place, I have the Memphis Grizzlies with 38 wins. Um, 
I won't even mention where I have the jazz because we won't get to them for a little while yet. Well, I have Memphis next. Right. Will we will we do the Grizzlies now? We'll talk about the Grizzlies first then. Yeah. Okay. So how many wins did you have the Grizzlies at? 42 wins. 42 wins. Okay. Um, so 38 was mine. That has them ninth for you, so just missing the playoffs. For, yeah, first first team out. And over 500. What do you believe in in the Grizzlies this year? Is it just Marcus All Mike Conley? It's just that same old, same old is going to keep kind of ticking? Pretty much. <laughs> I, I, I They're still very good basketball players. Um, I also think Dave Vistale is a very good coach. I know that I agree he's... With that. They're kind of obviously they're not kind of they are obviously in a more uncertain position than they have really ever been the, probably this decade. They've been kind of one of the more stable teams in terms of winning results. Uh, obviously, they had the season from hell two years ago when you know they had twenty eight players in the roster by the end of the year, but still they've been mostly very stable. Very, you can really depend on them. Obviously, the grin and grind and all that stuff. But uh, it's it's really tough. Their their shooting guard depth is Ben McElmore, Tyreek Evans, Wayne Selden Jr. I know Zach Lowe had a thing about him. Keep an eye on him, him heading into the year. Uh, even Chandler Parsons in his contract and his all his injuries. There's just I think they're they're still going to be a competent competent team for most nights, but this it's just tough. It's it's they're kind of going into. You're not this... describing them like an above five hundred team in the West. What's I know. Here? I just I just realized that. I Wait, went to you Jermichael, for the the positive. Jermichael Green's a, a solid player that you know was the last restricted free agent to sign. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just I don't know. It's just it's a tough. It's it's they're just kind of they're going to be stuck in between two positions of kind of what do we ultimately shoot for and can they stay healthy for the for the majority of the season to ultimately fight for a roster spot that's obviously another big talk about going from the Pelicans to the Grizzlies they they have their own injury issues too so I don't know it's just they they were kind of a tough team to to get a read on, but ultimately they still have two really good players in Mike Conley and Marcus All, and they have a good head coach in Dave Fisdale. I think that will give them the benefit benefit of the doubt until everything just comes crashing down. I just don't think they're good enough. Uh, they they've got two really great players. I don't don't think two players is good enough. I mean, it's similar to the Pelicans in that. Okay, um, at least you've got a more logical, uh, more appealing kind of divide in the positions these players play. You can construct a roster more logically around it. You mentioned if they stay healthy, there's no way this team stays healthy. Um, Chandler Parsons will not be healthy. Tyreek Evans will not be healthy. And Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley have both themselves shown an unfortunate knack for picking up injuries in recent years this could go really, really badly. And this is another team, again, wing depth is not good. Really not good. And I found it interesting, say, letting Tony Allen go because 
their defense is going to be, you know, <laughs> what they've identified with for so long. You mentioned like Wayne Seldon. Well, Wayne Seldon better play and better be good because other shooting guards are going to be like Ben McLemore, Tyreek Evans. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then even if, if like Chandler Parsons is injured, which come on, Chandler Parsons will be injured. Uh, James Ennis, Raddy Zagrach, and Dylan Brooks as trees. I mean, it's not as it's not as bad as some teams we've talked about already, but we're now approaching the point where you're up with these really, really good teams. I mean, to make the playoffs or get close in the West this year, you've got to have a lot going for you. I loved you, Michael Green, but this team's going to miss Evo. They yep. have very little depth at the four. Jarrell Martin and Ivan Rapp. And I think Jarrell Martin got got cut, but he's still in camp for them too. So. Oh. That's weird. Yeah. Well, then you're looking at someone like Deontay Davis, who didn't really do a whole lot last year, and you need to come on in a meaningful way this year. Oh, I don't know. Don't like it. Um, if it says an excellent coach, you're right. I think there is an element to this that is Mavs-like in that way. I think he is worth some wins for them that they may not get otherwise. They just need the fluke season that they haven't had, which is to be completely healthy. Obviously, they've had the opposite extreme, but I think even sort of the happy medium will see key players miss some sections of the season, and they can't afford that at all. They just don't have enough anymore. Um, even like you, they, they lost a lot of those guys. We look at the Kings. The Kings are just collecting guys who, uh, you know, Zebo, Vince Carter. Uh, Tony Allen, these kind of players that have left Memphis this year, they're major losses, major losses. And all three of those can be identified as kind of holes on their depth chart. So I just think it's really tough for them. I think, like I asked them at 38 wins, 38 wins when you're playing a Western Conference heavy schedule is pretty damn good. You know, in the Easter Conference, that's probably like 48 wins if you're getting those extra games against the East instead of the West. It's just not going to cut it against the rest of these teams, though. And, yeah, I have them on the outside looking in. Uh, We'll hold off on the Jazz because I do have them quite a few places higher. We'll see if we've any others we can kind of match up on. Uh, Grizzlies were your ninth-place team. Mm -hmm. My ninth-place team. 41 wins. The Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, now I have a bone to pick. What number do you have the Clippers at? If you won't reveal the Jazz, I will not reveal the Clippers. Are they significantly higher? Like, should we? They're higher. Should we hold off on the Clippers for a few minutes? I would. Okay. Um, eight seeds. A place for me. I have the Portland Trailblazers with forty-four wins. I have the Minnesota Timberwolves with 43 wins. I think we've reached a point where I don't know I how have we the do se- this anymore. My seventh seed is the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> we'll do the Trailblazers for now, and then I have no idea how we're going to sort out these teams from here on. Because, yeah. Um, let's start out with Portland. We both have them making the playoffs. We both have them kind of on the just making the playoff side of things, which there's no shame in that. I would say, though, that this is a team that could go very wrong and open up a spot for one of the teams we have just missing out. Like, uh, say, for what I've just spoken about with the Grizzlies, 
some bad luck Portland's way, some injuries or just some of the issues or dysfunctions that have kind of plagued them and that could easily open a spot for someone like them or the Clippers in my case. Um, I'll assume the Jazz in your case. It's kind of a weird spot where I like their roster. I feel they have a lot of good players and I feel at their best and their best team, they will be more than good enough to make the playoffs. But it's somewhat hard to trust them because we've seen their inconsistencies in recent years. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think Matt Moore uh, talked about this a couple weeks ago. Over the last two years, they basically just had one hot month that rode them to the playoffs. Otherwise, they've been kind of a subpar below 500 team for the most of it. I mean, they just had where they just caught fire, and that makes sense. I mean, they have Damian Lillard, who's pretty much probably the third best scoring point guard in the league. I think that's not... Crazy uh, I mean, you won't be far out. It's not. It's not egregious enough. He's in contention, obviously. Uh, yeah, I've already told better ones. Yeah, he's he's up there though. Anyway, he's he's one yeah, of the yeah. better scoring point guards. Top tier, I should say. Top tier point scoring point guards. Um, CJ McCollum's right there with him. You said Nurkic. I mean, that obviously that trade revitalized their season last year. I'm gonna take a little bit of a grain of salt, just because it was. So impactful compared to where he was with Denver the last two seasons. And he has weird kind of off-the-court attitude issues that that kind of plagued what you know what his career in Denver was. But other than that, I mean they have solid guys, they have Maurice Harkless. Uh they got rid of Alan Crabb, obviously, in the, the big trade with Brooklyn. Alfred Camino. Al Farouk, I mean, sorry, yeah, a good, you know, kind of positional, I guess, versatile player, I should say. Ed Davis is a guy we both like, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Even though he did have a little bit of down here, he's still a very stable kind of guy to have on the team. He's like, if John Henson was good. Makes sense. Both North Carolina men. I, there's there's obviously very appealing parts of their their team and then they just kind of have the back end of these guys that don't really see time like Pat Connington still on this team Shabazz Napier no I'm probably missing a one or two more the at the I think they've have they got Archie Goodwin at the moment and they I know they brought oh, yeah, in they brought uh, in Anthony Morrow as well um yeah and you've got there's like something, Evan there's, Turner in his contract oh yeah I forgot about that um yeah yeah they obviously won all in last summer and they're facing another kind of big question mark with what to do with Yusuf Nurkic. Meanwhile, they got two more big men in the draft this year with Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan. They have a weird – that's the other thing about this roster is that they have really guys that you can f- fall back on. And, you know, if it's a late in game, you know, clutch game situation, you have Damian Lillard, Lillard and CJ McCollum. But they also have kind of just a weird roster balance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they have – I think there's a really weird thing as well with they've struggled with that because they know they've got these two bona fide stars in the backcourt. And it's it's almost been oversimplified for them in recent years that all they've had to do is, you know, just deal with those other three positions. That's all we've got to figure out. But there's too much emphasis on it. They've overpaid in free agency. They've 
I feel made pretty questionable picks in the draft or kind of looked certain ways. Then they're also making deals to bring in guys for those positions. It's it's a tricky one, but it's kind of like they had so much clarity at the backcourt positions that it's just, oh, well, we just need these frontcourt pieces. How difficult could that be? Turns out it's not all that easy to find three guys who are perfect fits and have just the right amount of talent in a conference that's ultra competitive when <laughs> the majority of your money is going to be tied up in the backcourt. Yeah. And also worth noting that, I mean, your backcourt for as talented as they are, they are obviously flawed. Yeah. So that's also difficult. I don't know if you can have, I, I think it's kind of interesting. We'll get to a team, I'm sure, much later in both of our lists where we can now talk about something similar about players who are just as offensively gifted as this but maybe have other deficiencies on defense. I think you can have two players like that in the one team, but you don't really want them to be playing side by side as such. I think that's that's somewhat tricky. And... It's something the Blazers have to wrestle with. And I think it's one of the main reasons for their inconsistencies is it's not even those players' games dipping. It's that, you know, the opportunity is there for the opposing team every single night that the Blazers go to play a game. And if Lillard and McCollum aren't on top of their game, there's a real chance they're going to be exposed as a team. And even with kind of guys like Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino who aren't just really good defenders at their position, but they're very mobile, switchy guys who, you know, they can come across and help at either the one or two if needed. You're still left with something. And Nurkic, I love Nurkic and have since he came into the league. I think he's, like, ability-wise, he's a beast. As you said, it's not all just about his ability. There's other questions. Um, I haven't seen the Blazers yet in preseason or anything, so... I may already be proven really wrong on this, but one of the biggest issues for Nurkic in Denver was conditioning and just kind of staying in the best possible shape. And having, he's, he's having had of, the injury, I yeah. don't I don't know what shape he's in coming into this season. And he does have a knack for picking up those kind of injuries. So it's not like, oh, that was just a really unfortunate thing that happened at the end of at the end of the season last year. There's probably a good chance he'll pick up some along the way. If that happens, you're looking at Myers Leonard. Yikes. Oh, I forgot he was on this team. Yikes. I don't like Myers Leonard very much. Um, is it because his first name is uh, Plurals? Yeah, maybe plurals. it is. Maybe subconsciously. That's it. I love how you went Plurals with that just to yeah. emphasize the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think overall, you've got enough talent here. And I think more than ever, probably what shines true in my. Uh, my predictions overall for this Western Conference is there is a lot of really good players and I've kind of gone for talent will win out. That doesn't always turn out to be the case, but I think it might just be enough to get the Blazers across the line. Plus, this is a team, not to get all books on this, but they have a lot of continuity. Um, and with so much change in the conference, they should be aiming to have a good start and get a little bit ahead of kind of the the tough runs that will inevitably come their way later in the season. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, now we have to figure that out. That was my seven seed team. So who is, you know, we can do this easy because my seven seed team was your 10 seed. 
I went oh. to Utah Jazz in seventh. I have the Jazz of 46 wins. I have them at 39 wins. I mean, this is a pretty obvious one because we can debate this and <laughs> I think the facts are the facts somewhere we're not going to really get very far on who's right or who's wrong until we just see the season play out. I just think this is a team packed with incredibly smart players. I think they are going to be a defensive force. Like, I don't know. I don't know when the last time we've seen a team who'll be able to just kind of crunch teams quite like the Jazz will be able to defensively. And I think, you know what? They just probably still have enough there to get through on offense. It's not going to be easy for them every night, but I think more often than not, they'll find a way because they'll be a very fundamentally sound team. Guys who aren't necessarily sort of standout great offensive players, uh, say Ricky Rubio, an obvious example in terms you could look at his shooting, his scoring. Uh, Joe Ingles in some ways would fit that bill. Both of those guys are going to move the ball like nobody's business. You've got a team full of great passers. They'll be really unselfish. That's the way Quinn Snyder has his teams play. They will find the open man. They will find Rudy Gobert for easy dunks under the rim. And you still have, say, a really old, but a still amazingly effective, surprisingly effective, Joe Johnson. You know, Joe Johnson still does things. Rodney Hood had a really good season last year. Health is going to be the big question mark. If he can be healthy, he could go even bigger. Derek Favors, I hope to see him bounce back. But even beyond that, I mean, guys like Tabocephalosha, just we talk about all those teams lacking wings. This isn't the team lacking wings. Maybe they could do just a clean bill of health for them all, but they have options. Uh, Jonas Jurebko, a smart pickup. Uh, former book, Ekpeuro. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read that book club all year this year. <laughs> What's not to like on that? And then those who have listened to this podcast for the last few months will know that I am a colossal fan of Donovan Mitchell. He was my guy pre-draft. That hasn't changed. And if anything, the opportunities are just growing and growing and growing for him in Utah by the day. And I think this is an almost perfect environment for him to thrive because, you know, He's just got countless experienced players and him. You know, he is basically the rookie. There's they drafted Tony Bradley as well, didn't they? Second round, or maybe was he undrafted even? Uh, but no, he's a second round sounds right. He's a rookie from this year's class, but I mean, generally, this isn't just a team, but one or two years' experience. It's packed with experienced players. I also think Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the NBA possibly a top five coach i just really buy into this team will find a way i understand that you put this team out there and you go where's the offense coming from i think the answer is it's not going to come from one guy they're just going to keep moving it until they find ways to do things and they can afford to have hiccups in that process because come down the other end against them it's not going to be easy to score I agree with everything that you have said. I'm pulling for the Utah Jazz. Kevin Arnovitz has always said that, you know, I think everybody the last couple of years were kind of quick to, not quick to, sorry, but we were all kind of seeing like, oh, let's see kind of Utah come back and after a couple of years of missing the playoffs and kind of 
hitting bottom, so to speak. Everybody wanted to see them kind of resurge back into the West. And last year they did it through still a lot of adversity, as they are prone to do, it seems. Um, and they're a very respected organization from top to bottom, whether it's Quinn Snyder or Dennis Lindsay and the front office organization, the players that they've selected, they have really interesting players. They have kind of obviously losing Gordon Hayward. That's a big knock on them. It's not through, through no fault of their own. They kind of regrouped and assembled a very interesting mix of players that are very valuable. Biggest problem I have, actually two, and one I already kind of alluded to, this team can never stay healthy no matter what it is. Dante Exum is already hurt. Could be for a couple of months. Could be for the whole year. Who knows? That is, It doesn't just end with Dante Exum. Gobert has kind of faced his own problems. Uh, I think it just could go on and on. This team can just not escape whatever black cap just that keeps going under ladders <laughs> at the whatever their arena is called. Um, and the other thing too, as good as they're going to be defensively, I don't really know who's that go-to scorer for them. It could be Ronnie Hood. I think it's very indicative of how people have been quick to kind of tout the Jazz. People have been really quick to tout Ronnie Hood as kind of being the next big shooting guard, where he's our he's also had his injury history history that have gone in the way. Um, so as much as Ronnie Hood could, you know, I guess take that next step for them in a big year, obviously he's going into a contract year. Uh, I don't know if he's that go-to scorer for them. It could honestly be Joe Johnson. As funny as that sounds, he did prove that in the playoffs last year. He was able to do it still. There, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, he's 36, so you don't want to be relying on that, but He's seven-time All-Star, Jordan. I don't disagree, and those are facts. Um, and like I said, they're gonna they're gonna be a very tough defensive team, and it's obviously zagging when everybody's zigging and kind of building up their offense and all that stuff. That's what makes a really interesting team to watch out for. All the other reasons I said, you throw back, um, and they have the pieces to do it. I, don't, I just don't ultimately know if they can withstand it when other factors are going to get in, in the way of, you know, if it's injuries or someone may not have it. Maybe the players that they hope uh, could take that next step, like a, obviously Dante Axon got hurt, as I said. This it's They're intriguing, obviously. They're very intriguging, but I just don't know if they have it the whole season. Okay, well, I think they do, and that's all that matters. Um, my sixth place team. Have we got your seven? Who was your seven? Seventh is Portland. Okay. The, the two teams in limbo, if I remember correctly, are right. the two balls. Yeah. Oh, we just did that's Utah. It. Oh, yeah, you said Clippers. Okay. Who is your number six? The Denver Nuggets. Wow, you're, you're still upset the Clippers. My God. Okay. Um, my number six is also the Denver Nuggets. I have the Denver Nuggets at 48 wins. I have the Nuggets at 46 wins. Uh, I mean, we're pretty close on this. I think it's it's going to be pretty simple. 
um, in terms of breaking this down for why we feel this way. They are the future version of the Kings in terms of when we talk about the Kings having all of these kind of young players that have so many different ways they could turn out, gave them so many different options. Nuggets have been that team for a few years. A few of them have finally turned out and turned out in a big way in the form of uh, Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris. And they're starting to build around those guys in a pretty interesting way for complementary pieces. Um, you've still got young guys like, say, Jamal Murray, Juancho uh, Hernan Gomez, Trey Lyles is there. I think who else? Malik Beasley. Moutier, even through all his flaws. Moutier. And now you go and add Paul Millsap, who, if I'm remembering correctly, has been... And I'll start for three straight years in the East. Four. Four, okay. Well, that went fast that time. Um, this is going to be a very, very fun team to watch. I said this on the, my recent appearance of Time Out with Ty. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the best offense in the NBA. They may actually be better offensively than the Warriors. The problem will be the Warriors will be just as good defensively as they will be offensively. And that is not something you're going to be able to say for the Denver Nuggets. Saying that, I don't expect them to be as bad defensively as I think a lot of people are worried about. A lot is made out of the whole uh, Jokic's defensive uh, inefficiencies or weaknesses. Paul Millsap is an incredibly good defender, and I think that will help him a lot being alongside him. Gary Harris is an incredible defender in the backcourt. This is one of these scenarios where I mentioned, you know, you can get away with having multiple guys who aren't the best defenders. This wasn't the one I even made reference to earlier, but it's another example of it. You can get away with those guys if they're not necessarily all together. You don't want a backcourt that's just kind of can be run through with ease. Spreading them across the floor helps, and I think they've got a nice mix of guys who, you know, can offer different skills, and that's not even going into say Millsap's own offensive skills and particularly the passing we're going to see from that front court duo. I completely agree. I may have been a little early on the Nuggets bandwagon, but I did think that they had a shot to be the eighth seed last year and they came very close. Uh, team is, and they did that building around Nikola Jokic. They got Paul Millsap, which I just think there's going to be a little bit kind of working around for maybe a month or two, find them just very good fits with one another. They kind of cancel each other's flaws. And obviously Millsap is the older, much older than Jokic, but I just think that just fits, you know, perfectly. Um, and as you said, they're going to be really good offensively. They play in a, in a team, in a city that's a mile above sea level. That does come into play when you, you know, have a six-game homestand or five-game homestand and all that stuff. You can catch that team. We talk about home court advantage, and that doesn't really – I mean, there's been things that have been talking about that during the season that it's going down. But in a team like Denver or even Utah, you can really throw their – I was about to say, you, all that stuff you just said about the Jazz, and you didn't bring the altitude into that one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I think that, can, that helps them for a team that's just so – they're they're gonna be they're just gonna be really fun to watch no matter what it is it could be Jokic throwing passes from throwing it between his legs down 
one end of the court to the other. You're going to have Jamal Murray shooting from that same spot of the court to the other end of the court. Uh, so he's just going to make, you know, 90 foot, foot <laughs> 94 foot uh, three pointers. There's just so many parts of this roster that they're just going to be a dangerous team. And I, maybe we are kind of overselling this team considering they just, they only won 38 games last year. And I do think in this, maybe a little foreshadowing for a team that we will go into, do you think not having Daniel Gallinari is going to hurt them for a little bit? I know you're laughing. I see our differences in opinion now are all clear. <laughs> but uh, for the majority of the season, they're, they're going to be very tough. And they could be a team that wins a, an award or two. <clears throat> we'll get into that next week. Okay. Um Okay, I suppose so. Uh, Mike Malone is a good coach, too. I should add here. Um, <clears throat> oh, oh. <laughs> I wasn't quite expecting that, to be fair. So, yeah, okay, I guess. I guess, Jordan. Well, I'll have to think about that some more this week and then come back with my answers on that one next week. Uh, but, yeah, we'll move it on. I'm now, I've am now. i now got everyone except my top five. So who's a, who's a five for you? Uh... The Los Angeles Clippers. Thank God. We finally got there. Um, reminder to everyone, you've probably long forgotten because it was about an hour ago at this point, but the Clippers <laughs> were my number nine at 41 wins. Just missing out number, on the playoff. Fun. Number nine. Mine was obviously the fifth seed with 48 wins. Okay. My fifth seed is... The San Antonio Spurs. We'll talk about them in a while. Let's finally get into Clippers talk. We've already had this argument away from the podcast, so it's good. You're gonna have to work extra hard to win me over. But sell me on why the Clippers are gonna be the fifth seed in the Western Conference. This is still the Doc Rivers coach team. They have lost Chris Paul. Sell me on it. Yes, they lost Chris Paul. Yes, they signed Blake Griffin to a mega deal who carries a lot of injuries. They did sign Daniel or sign and trade for Daniel Gallinari, who obviously has his checkered injury past. Understatement of the century right there. Sorry, I'll let, I'll let you make your points. First. Uh, <laughs> um, they got Milos, Milos, Milos Teodosic, who's going to be incredibly fun to watch. He may not play a lick of defense, but he is going to be incredible with his passes. He's going to be sitting in that same spot that Nikola Jokic is sitting, or Stanley, I should say. Actually, maybe he is sitting. He could be throwing passes just sitting down on the court. They'd be the same height if Jokic was sitting. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, they got Patrick Beverly out of the uh, Chris Paul trade, who is a solid play- player. Obviously, we have spoken very highly of him over the course of the Win in Six podcast. Uh, they still have DeAndre Jordan, who was a all-defense of player last year. He's kind of hit that sweet spot. He's in his prime, is in his athletic prime. He's still a very good player. He, I think there's questions about what he can be without Chris Paul, but having a passer like Milos Teodosic, that might not be as big of a problem as other people may be making it out to be. I think this team is just going to be a really good offensive team. I think even with J.J. Redick gone, even with Chris Paul gone, even with the injuries that may have come up or may have come up, may come up this year, 
This is going to be a top five offense in the NBA. Mark it down. Uh, defensively, I think that is a much bigger question mark. I don't know how to defend that, <laughs> to be honest. But they have interesting players to kind of, I guess, address that for spells. Whether it's Beverly, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Luke, you've, actually, you've Luke run, Mbamute. Is kind of, uh, come on. Come on. Luke Mbamute is not there anymore, Jordan. I know that's what I was saying. That's oh, that's okay. going to be a, a tough loss too. Because I was going to say you've run out of defenders after the two you named. Willie Reed, maybe you could make the case, but naming both Willie Reed and DeAndre Jordan. Hey, Sidorius Thayer, Thornwell. Right, we're really know. reaching now. We're really reaching. <laughs> anyway, I think this team. I th- I've always kind of had Clippers rose-colored glasses. Um, that was a very mumbled way to say that, but. I just think there's something there that makes them a very good team. And again, everything hinges on injuries with them because they have a lot of players that are very susceptible to them. But Blake Griffin's a very good player. And he even showed that last year, even with what would be considered a down year and with injuries involved too. I just think people are kind of overlooked. It's very easy to go down on them considering all the things that have gone against them and the players that have left them this offseason. But there's still something there with this team that I just can't quit yet. Yeah, I completely disagree with everything you said. <laughs> this I, is the I, dynamic David Dunn 21 was asking for yesterday. That's what I, I mean, I just, uh, in giving this team 41 wins, I tried to imagine basically best case for this Clippers team. And that maybe wasn't fair on some of the other teams that I imagined. I, I just don't think this works at all. Um, Doc Rivers has not shown that he's a good coach in today's NBA. He may be in a very good coach 10 years ago, but with the way the league has shifted, I'm not sure if if he's up to that anymore. Maybe it was just the extra kind of uh, front office burdens were stopping him from being a good coach. Call me skeptical on that, though. Uh, we'll find out. Danilo Gallinari is not he is not so good to make me buy into this team. Plus, he's guaranteed to be injured for probably 80% of the season. He plays no defense, is best as a four rather than a three, and he has no choice but to play the three at this team. Uh, we talk about teams who don't have wings. This team does not have wings. Their best three is a four, as we just mentioned. At the two, you've got Austin Rivers, who... I mean, last year is probably as good as it gets. I'd be shocked if he repeats that. You've got Lou Williams, who is just like... He's like a turnstile with no resistance. He's a turnstile who's going to let everyone into the game. I just don't know. Don't get me wrong, Milos Tatos is just going to be so much fun. I will very much enjoy Clipper highlights when they happen. This is going to be a bad team, though. I was probably too generous. I kind of regret having them make... Did I have them? No, I had them miss, but 41 wins is too yeah. good. It's too good still. Blake Griffin is going to be injured. I mean, he's always injured. DeAndre Jordan. I mean, he's not going to miss anything for within two feet. He can't score from outside of two feet. His free throws are still a disaster. Um, okay, they at least have found another point guard capable of throwing in passes to replicate some of what Chris Paul was able to work with with him. 
you just can't overlook those other positions. Think of the players they've had and in their primes in recent years. And what was one of the biggest reasons they couldn't get it done? It was one position at that time. They didn't have a good small forward. Oh, guess what? They now don't have a good small forward. They don't have a good shooting guard. And, I mean, injuries at any of the other positions and things become just incredibly precarious immediately. Blake Griffin gets injured. I like Montrez Harrell, but this team can't stay afloat without Blake Griffin with Montrez Harrell filling in, which is going to happen at some point. Gallinari's going to be injured. Like He's already injured. Uh, no, he's, he's got... back. Okay, give him a give him a. He came into the season, which, by the way, doesn't bode well to begin with. That's ideal preparations, but it really sums up the Daniel Gallinari experience for his natural ability, uh, even when he's not having injuries that are related to kind of almost structural breakdowns in his body. He decides to punch people and break his hand. I just I'm not uh, into it at I'm all. I'm a Danilo Gallinari. That's well, supposed to be a stand. That's. Good for you, Jordan. I hope you have fun this year as a Stanilo Gallinari. <laughs> there are fun things about this team. I just don't think they're going to be good. I think a lot of people have bought into it. Uh, and probably even more so when there's already all these incredible highlights that Mikhail Stadosic is creating out there. But don't confuse fun with being good, particularly in this conference. This is a killer's row, and the Clippers are just going to be... They're just going to be dirt on everyone's shoe. They're not They're not good enough, oh. really. Oh. I'm, I'm waiting for the counter, other than the oh. I, I can't think of one. <laughs> like, you love the offense this team. I, I don't quite see that. But let's put the Clippers up against the Jazz again. I think... The Jazz would stifle this defense and then or would stifle this offense. And then if you're gonna go, who has the edge on the other side of the ball? I'll take the Jazz. I'll take the Jazz is better, a better offensive team than the Clippers will be a defensive team. That's a that's a fair point. <laughs> you're not supposed to agree, Jordan. You've you've put them as your fifth seed. Again. Um, I, I, I wear Clipper rose colored glasses. Okay, maybe I'm going to be incredibly wrong on this. You will. It just doesn't happen very often. Um, <laughs> who are your four seed? Are they my. San Antonio Spurs. Okay, so I had the Spurs fifth. Um, when I say I have them fifth, I, I agonized over this and I really had these two teams level until I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold at this. I'm gonna go out and do it. Um I have the Spurs winning forty eight games this year. I have the Spurs winning fifty three. The quiet injury spooked me. Um I don't think this team has the the margin for error that they've had in the past. This isn't even a forty eight win roster like what I've just given them. That's giving all of the Spurs benefit of the doubt that they've unquestionably earned over the years. That's what you're probably going to get, at least because you have Greg Popovich as your coach. They just have a lot to work out. They have most of their money tied up in old players who 
I don't know what you're going to get out of. Um, who knows when Tony Parker is back and what he looks like. Has Manu Ginobili really got anything left in the tank? Because at times last year, it looked like he hadn't. Pau Gasol. Let's <laughs> see what he sounds like I make for Pau Gasol. Rudy Gay that is, is the, That is injured. the sound that he makes guarding <laughs> the pick and roll. Rudy Gay's injured. He's going to miss probably all of the season. Very close I think he's already it. back. What? He's playing. Did he not rupture his Achilles? Yes, he did. He had he took the West Matthews fast track. What is that? Just playing with a ruptured Achilles? <laughs> but that deal was signed, Jordan. People were saying that he wasn't gonna play this year, you know. I I didn't I don't remember seeing that, but he is playing. Okay. Well, it's not changing my mind all that much anyway. Um, because then you've also said all your Marcus Aldridge question marks. They'll find a way, and I guess those players that I'm doubting will continue to probably be good. And look, if the Spurs won 58 games, mm-hmm. rather than 48 games, I would just shrug my shoulders. But yeah, Spurs. Um, but Kawhi missing time to start the year is pretty big deal. Yeah, and I think going on with just that they got older, they got the two players that they the biggest losses that they had last year were they kind of the most athletic Kawhi notwithstanding. They lost Jonathan Simmons. They lost Dwayne Demon, who should have been starting the whole year. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a very weird ro- roster to have around a player that is that stellar on both ends of the floor. And obviously we could talk about the Kawhi impact, of how teams go around that, you know, basically just sitting in the corner and not having in actions and all that stuff. But <laughs> no way can deny the natural gifts that he possess possesses. Other than that, though, there's, this team's old. I think Greg Popovich is obviously one of the best basketball coaches ever. The best, but possibly the best. I know. I'm just saying you, one you, of the like. I mean, you could narrow that conversation to probably three or four guys. Yeah. And he's in that conversation. Um, but other than that, I just there's so much. It's, it's. Uh, the Edmonton point is interesting, even as kind of uh, a jumping-off point, because if you look at the things you could do with Dwayne Deadman as opposed to Pau Gasol, this year your alternative is going to be playing Lamarcus Aldridge at center, which he hates, or playing yep. Joffrey Laverne at center, which is not the same in any way to Dwayne Dedman. Couldn't be any more different stylistically. So they've lost that kind of player. And that's been a central element of what Spurs basketball has been under Greg Popovich throughout all his time there. Yep. I think that's that's kind of a big deal. Um, I, it's funny, like as much as you have concerns over Tony Parker... Paddy Mills is very good, and Paddy Mills is back. DeJounte Murray showed really good signs last year, and they brought Brandon Paul over, who's been playing very high-level internationally for a number of years. You know, They're probably going to be pretty solid in the backcourt. Um, I love Danny Green. I have done for a number of years. I think he's just an incredibly valuable player. Again, we talk about kind of just how important wings are, and you've got someone who can shoot like he can, defend like he can. That's a big deal. And when everyone's healthy, all of that matters then. Like, when everyone's healthy, having Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard side by side and being able to try out, say, Paddy Mills with them and then 
having options like say what a Lamarcus Aldridge can do, I think it's it's been talked about a lot, but like if the Spurs are to really be a force this year and to really kind of cause teams trouble, their best lineups are going to need to have Lamarcus Aldridge at center and Rudy Gay at the four. Yeah. Both guys both guys hate doing that. So it's it's like the ultimate test of kind of just Spurs culture and people just buying in because it's the Spurs and because you know Pop shouted at them to get them to do so. I think this is a year to take a step back, and it's a testament to the Spurs that their step back would still be forty-eight wins. <laughs> Kawhi is incredible, so if Kawhi only misses, say, the short stretch at the start of the season that he may miss. And that's it. Well, then maybe they first surpass that just on his back. But it's kind of planted a seed of doubt, and there are already plenty of them in this roster that it's tough to just be all that confident in them. Let's move it on to my number four, who was your number Eight. eight. Okay. I'll go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, fight me, Jordan, but I'm buying in. As I alluded to earlier, I've just gone, eh, you know, talent is a good thing. I think they have a good coach. I think they've now got very good players. I think they're, they're going to work it out. I really do think they're just going to work it out. I have the Timberwolves at 50 wins. You have them at? 43 wins. I think I, I have mean, an eighth seed. What's, what's seven wins between friends? <laughs> It's doesn't. I don't really even have to go into too much detail on this because the reasons why I'd pencil the Timberwolves in there were obvious, and I did have them. And when I first ran through this kind of exercise, I had the Spurs and Timberwolves tied on the same number of wins, and ultimately I took one away from the Spurs and gave one to the Timberwolves because I said, okay, I'm putting those two teams side by side for everything that Spurs culture stands for, for everything that they have advantage-wise in terms of maybe their front office, even the coaching, although Tibbs is a very good coach. Who's the more talented team this year? And it's hands down the Timberwolves. I could be worried about depth. Probably should be worried about depth. Particularly if the Tibbs effect kicks in and lots of guys have injuries. But I don't feel, unlike some other teams that I'm coming into season looking at this group and going okay well all of these guys are going to get injured that's just who they are and you're going to have to rely on your depth that's not a guarantee and a starting lineup of Jeff T, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, Taj Gibson currently Towns is going to be pretty damn good I think they should fit very well together it may not be an instant thing they may struggle early on but I think they'll get that chip righted and have a really good season overall um, the big questions, and I guess just how much, probably to get to 50 wins or, and to be ahead of a team like the Spurs, uh, Andrew Wiggins will have to go up a gear. Cat will have to go up a gear. Jimmy Butler will have to be just like not missing a beat. Change the surroundings. Uh, more talented teammates can't take anything away from him. He'll have to just keep going as he was. I think all those things are possible, though. Um I just have a feeling Jeff Teague is going to have a really great season. I think in a lot of ways he's been underrated and undervalued in the kind of, in the aftermath of that trade, or free agency, free agent signers, yeah. I would say. Uh, but I guess the trade-off mentally that Timberwolves fans have been doing with just losing Ricky Rubio, who was a fan favorite, but a deeply flawed player. Uh, 
he might not be the perfect fit for this team, but he's a much better fit. You know, I think it's it's that simple. Uh, Taj Gibson, very effective player, someone who Tibbs obviously trusts. It might be challenging fit-wise. We'll see. We'll see how, how they function with a 4-5 combo of Taj and County Towns, and that's not really anything on Towns. Or on Gibson's abilities, it's just... Uh, old-fashioned four like Taj Gibson is a rare thing in the NBA now. So as good as he often tends to be, finding a spot for him in a regular spot is difficult. Overall, though, I believe that, again, the talent wins out here. Yes. You're very skeptical, though. I know you are, so let me hear it. Uh, yes. I'm a little bit skeptical. Ultimately, I have him as a playoff team, but... This team is a little older than I think people realize. And maybe obviously they have more in their prime players like Jimmy Butler, uh, Jeff Teague, Carl Anthony Towns, not even in his prime and still putting up 25 and 12 and shooting ridiculous percentages. But And that's obviously a scary <laughs> proposition to think about. But they are an older team. And as you said, their depth is pretty pretty abysmal when you say older uh, team is that on average because are we just talking about jamal crawford <laughs> well i guess yeah crawford but even taj gibson he's like 32 aaron brooks is on this team who might be the backup point guard uh and obviously the depth issues i mean taj gibson for the kind of workman like player he is he's very injury prone I don't really know who their backup four is. I think it's Nemanja Bielitsa. Correct. I would um, say Cole, more realistically, though, you probably end up seeing Towns Shabazz, Shabazz come in, and Ooh, yeah, that's true. You could go. All right, yeah, well, that might make too much sense. You could see Towns and Gorgi Jang possibly side by side later. Cole Aldridge is still on this team. Um. There's just something about this that it, they're basically an amalgamation of the Bulls, obviously. But and the Timberwolves. That's with well, the Jeff also, Teague T, but if you take like the how the Pacers were on paper, where they have the kind of shooting big Miles Turner cat connections and the kind of scorer slash two way player Paul George Jimmy Butler connection. And then you take Teague and Aaron Brooks. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot Aaron Brooks is also on that team, too. There's just something about this team that I just think – I don't know if Wiggins and Butler really fit, to be honest. I don't think they kind of – there's something about that. I think they're very – as much as they are similar in terms of playing style, I think they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum of how they carry themselves and just kind of they're, – they're both tough guys. Kind of th- or not both tough guys, but Jimmy Butler's the kind of you don't want to mess with this kind of guy. He, you know, kind of He's thing. An alpha and Andrew Wiggins, alpha person, yeah, alpha personality. And Andrew Wiggins is very passive, from what I can tell. Um, sorry to go at kind of uh, body language, Doctor Bill Simmons type, but uh, I don't know. I, they're all they're going all in. They're a better team, and you have to remember they were a thirty-one win team last year. Even going to 43 wins or even going up to 50 wins, I mean, that's almost 20 wins. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is that good of a player that he could single-handedly uh, you know, do that for them. 
but yeah, he is. He is him. Jordan. I mean, twenty wins, not necessarily single-handedly, but really twenty wins. But he will go a long way toward that. And I mean, Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson help you get more wins as well. I uh, yes, that is true. But I also don't think that solves every everything that no like the Timberwolves last year. I don't think they're NBA champions. To be clear, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I I do think they could be a really good regular season team who could be found out really quickly in the playoffs. Like for example, with the way I've done it, where it's a four or five matchup with the Spurs, uh, they they could be a much more exciting and better looking regular season team, and then go get swept to the Spurs in the first round just because the Spurs would know how to pick them apart and expose their their weaknesses. Like yeah. I I think that's very much the kind of season they could be in for, but I do think they've the ingredients that. Uh, they will cause havoc when they play teams out east. I think they will just tear them limb from limb. And I think... Much like a Timberwolf itself? Yeah, pretty much. I think (laughs) they'll cause major problems for a lot of their teams in their own conference too. And I mean, they did already last year. Their record didn't necessarily show up, but they were a team who, you know, they had a little bit of something to them that they challenged better teams. They caused them problems. And they lost... We should say they had a, probably a fluke, what we consider a fluke. They lost a bunch of games in the fourth quarter where they held leads and just it it, it fell apart. So that's not going to be that extreme this year, one would think. But I also think for as good of a player as Jimmy Butler is on both ends of the floor, both Wiggins and Towns specifically, and a little bit of Shabazz Muhammad if you count him as a part of the uh, – you know, young core that they assembled. They had to pick it up defensively to kind of, I guess, stabilize that end of the floor, which everybody thought Tibbs would immediately fix all the the habits that were formed when under, like, Sam Mitchell. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, there's also, though, I mean, I think there's also, like, there had to be a kind of betting-in period for Tibbs, not just for them to learn how things went with him. I don't think it should be overlooked for a young team as they were at the time. Just how yeah. kind of traumatic the whole Flip Saunders thing was as well. That's oh, for sure. I mean, sure. That's, that's not an easy way to settle into life in the NBA and to develop as a player and as a person. So I, I feel they're now coming to a point where not only should they have more stability, but they have guys around them who are better equipped to guide them through what it's all about. And particularly in Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson, I mean, they're they're going to be Tibbs on the floor. You know, I mean, he's brought in those guys for a reason. We cannot, we can talk about, oh, he's just kind of bringing his old Bulls players back together. Is just not a bit weird? I mean, he's going to go what he trusts because he's also now got a year that he knows, okay, what was missing from the team and what do Carl T. Towns and Andrew Wiggins need to go to the next level? I think it's also kind of important that trade they made I don't think they lost anything by moving on for Chris Dunn and Zach Levine. I don't like either player. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. I, I really like. I'm I'm sure they will both be fine ultimately. Maybe they're both like good role players, but there's nothing like worth kind of crying over there. It was a heist, you know. They're they're just. I mean, you basically got the value of what you'd expect to get for those picks before you make the selections. You know the way. They say it's the moment you make a pick in a draft, the value goes down. Oh, yeah, yeah. They basically got to cash in at the pre-selection value for players yeah. who were 
obviously flawed and he even in Zach Levine's case had like major problems that you shouldn't shouldn't really buy into it on but they got the deal out of it good for them I like the Timberwolves Jordan likes them enough to make the playoffs but not much more your fourth place team was the Spurs so we're up to third place who do you have at number three Jordan the Houston Rockets 56 wins Okay, I I have the Oklahoma City Thunder at three, so we'll talk about them in a second. Uh, you have the Rockets at fifty six. I have the Rockets at sixty one. Give me your give me your Rockets take. I mean, I know there's five wins between us, but if we're talking them being better than fifty five wins, we're not really disagreeing too much here. No, not at all. They got Gris Paul. They got very good role players that make them a more. Uh, I guess well-rounded team on both ends of the floor. They got uh, Luke Mabamute, uh, PJ Tucker. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone else. Who are they else? That was all their big kind of additions this offseason, at least in free agency, right? Um, who was their other, their other free agent deal? I mean, Nene was probably their, their, their most notable deal this summer, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, pretty pretty similar to last year, but Chris Paul transforms it by himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think I'm saying anything that hasn't been said. I'm just it's they're they're going all in on talent, and Chris Paul and James Harden. That's going to be incredible backcourt for sure. But there are other complications that could come about. I mean, who has the ball, the game, who wants it at, you know, late game situations. Um, they're, kind of, they're kind of, if you talk about, you know, the dynamic between Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler, that's a weird kind of dynamic between those two in uh, Harden and Paul. Other than that, this is ultimately talent wins out. They got other savvy additions to kind of make that team whole, get a team that can, you know, go against the Warriors because a team built around one one player by itself. I mean, we saw what the Warriors did to teams like the Spurs, the Rockets last year, the, you know, in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, they're going to be a good team, but there are also a couple of questions that go along with it that D'Antoni has to figure out. I'm not worried about any of the questions, really, because I think even the, the likes of who'll take the last shot or who's the ball at the end of the game, uh, this is the ultimate team built for just don't think about that. Just move the ball. Just make make the best basketball play. You've got maybe one of the highest IQ basketball teams ever or two of the highest IQ teammates you've possibly ever seen in the NBA. Just, just play basketball. <laughs> Literally, the path to victory for the Rockets is play basketball. Don't get bogged down the rest of the stuff. Don't don't overthink it. Just, you know, Chris Paul has the ball. James Harden's got the open shot or he's got a better avenue to score. Pass the ball to him and vice versa. And then make use of your Ryan Andersons, your Eric Gordons, uh, your Clint Capella rolling to the rim, whatever. Trevor Reza, PJ Tucker. You've got the kind of weapons that you generally look for. Just be pretty smart about it and I think they will be and then Mike D'Antoni will be creative enough and will have this team well drilled enough that this 
offense is going to be mind-blowing. I realize I said that the Nuggets will probably have the best offense in the league. That was working off, you know, if things were like last year, it's hard to see past the Rockets for having the best offense in the league. That's true. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think that Chris Paul, I'm not worried about Chris Paul, James Harden, because I think an important part of being Chris Paul's teammate is not having heard him shout at you for multiple years. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's new, and Harden hasn't, not that Paul has won, but Harden hasn't won either. So he's going to be willing to put up with that to be playing with Chris Paul. It's not the white, you know, I think that's one personality clash we saw with Harden. Chris Paul is the anti Dwight Howard in almost every way. So I don't know if if he'll rub up against them quite as poorly as everyone seems to be anticipating. I think this could work as a duo. I think they might actually quite enjoy playing with each other. And if the offense ticks like I think we expect it to, Chris Paul might just not be that angry. He might just be kind of happy. Who knows? We'll see. I think they are going to be about as interesting as anyone to watch this season. Their offense is going to be through the roof. I only saw I was looking at the preseason stats earlier. They've only played one game so far. They had 40-something assists in that game. Like like <laughs> over 40. 40-something. The books are third in assists at the moment. I think it's 26.7. Wizards have 27.8 per game. And then the Rockets, okay, one game, but one game, whatever, like 44 maybe it was, or 46, I don't know. Some crazy number. That's like, yeah, they might just do that like most nights. And if you do that most nights, you're going to be in a pretty good chance to win. So, yeah, Rockets are going to be really good. I'm guessing you haven't gone for the ultimate upset here, and your number two is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes, that is correct. I mean, that would have been quite the bombshell to end on. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm, I'm a little disappointed you didn't. Anyway, the Thunder were my third seed. I have them at 58 wins. I had them at 58 wins. Huh. Um, I think this is going to work a lot better. And I think you must too, if you must the, the two seed. But I, I have a lot more confidence in this than a lot of people seem to have. This was the team earlier I was alluding to of you can have two players who aren't necessarily that great defensively on the court if they're not beside each other. And then in the Thunder's case, you have at the other three positions at least top five defenders at their positions at each of the other three stops. Stephen Adams, Paul George, Andrew Robertson. Yeah. All elite elite defenders and that's i think that matters you know in the thunder's best lineups you can yeah okay mellow not ideal defensively russell westbrook not ideal defensively neither of them is just quite you know they're going to be engaged i think that's an important thing with both of those players they're not just like gonna have these unexcused inexcusable defensive lapses they're not the most. Uh, I don't even know if saying not the most. They're not the most mobile. They're not the best or the most textbook defenders that you're going to have at those positions. But it's not like it's going to be a lack of trying or anything that prevents them from from stopping things. And I think that's all you need. Those two guys just be engaged. 
don't fall asleep on whatever your assignment is and let the other three guys that'll be on the floor with a lot of time pick up the heavy lifting defensively. And I don't even have any worries on that end for the Thunder. Offensively, a lot to figure out, but I again, I'll just say they'll probably figure it out. They are good enough. Um, not only are they good enough, they have a trio of players who should be incredibly hungry to figure this out. I think that's really important. This isn't just kind of three superstars where one guy's won two championships and whatever. This is three guys who all have something to prove and for each kind of different reasons for all of them. But at the same time, if those three players were to, to show they could team up and go and win a championship together or something like that, that would be very significant considering the narratives that surround them up to this point in their career. Um, incredibly considering how tight their cap situation is, tight is the wrong word, they're way over the cap. Um, having like Patrick Patterson as an option. That's kind of pretty good. That matters. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Grant is not great, but again, not the worst player. Alex Abrinas showed himself to be pretty useful last year. Point guard, mm, a bit of a concern. Uh, Frey Felton can still show something that would be useful because Samaj Christen didn't work out last year. There are, look, there are gaps in terms of depth. That is unavoidable when you build a team that has players of this caliber who are as highly paid as they are. But I really like them as a group. And I think Billy Donovan has shown very positive signs in the NBA as a coach so far. was obviously an excellent coach in college. I think he's going to make this work. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, they're a very top-heavy team, obviously, but as you said, they have kind of these counterbalances to make them uh, a very competent team on both ends of the floor. I think you're right in saying all three have to prove a point, and that might that might sound crazy in the case of Westbrook, especially after winning MVP and having a record-setting season. But if this is, if this doesn't work out, I mean, people are going to paint them as kind of this Kobe equivalent of being a star that can't play with other players that drives away uh, teammates and stuff like that. But even said as to kind of piggyback after what you said about the defense, Thunder were a very good defensive team when it was just kind of Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka was there. Obviously it was the offensive execution, especially the kind of ISO ball uh, uh, centric problems that kept coming up and, very well might come up again very well they will come up again this year with you know having Carmelo Anthony and Paul George and Westbrook again um but there's something about this team they're going all in as many teams as we have talked about uh I think they just want to be competitive I think they have a very I feel more confident in them kind of going toe-to-toe with the Warriors playing their style than any other team in the West and possibly in the NBA. I mean, I think, look, I think the West is the thing, you know? Uh, the Cavs are not what they were. Yeah. 
So I think I think it, it does come at the West. I yeah, I think you're right. I was thinking on that the Rockets maybe. I don't know. The two are close to be honest. Yeah, it's very close. I mean, it's. I think, I think it's very close. They both have the right kind of options that they can at least throw something at them, and who knows. And I think both teams are positioned well enough that you know if the injury bug hits the Warriors or whatever it is, they are positioned to take advantage of it. Whether that comes about, we'll have to see. Um, for teams like the Thunder and the Rockets, more so the Thunder ups because you've got more new faces and they aren't just new faces, they're big egos. Just how quick they can kind of hit the ground running is important. I don't see why not, though, because I think Paul George and Carmelo Anthony should feel kind of reinvigorated and freed by landing in this new spot, particularly Melo. I think uh, Melo is not the player he was, but I think people have been unnecessarily and unwisely harsh on writing Carmelo Anthony off. Yeah, he He's an incredibly gifted player and no longer burdened by the decision-making of the New York Knicks by the lack of talent that he's wasted pretty much all of his prime surrounded by. He's free to kind of have some fun here, and he waves his no trade clause to go to Oklahoma City. Remember every preconception everyone had about Carmelo Anthony? He's just had enough of losing. He wants to win. He's going to do what that takes. I think it's can't escape stuff. those colors though. Can't escape the blue and orange. <laughs> That's true. I hadn't thought of that. That is true. Um, <laughs> He's got the hoodie though. I, I don't blame them. They're good good colors. I like them. I don't think the the Thunder don't use them quite as well as the Knicks. I think it's safe to say. I will say the biggest addition the Thunder may have made is that statement Nike jersey. I think that too. I know Zach Lowe was talking about this. I think that is the best Thunder jersey, and it's not a low bar to cross, but it's I like it. Aesthetic uh, talk. I think I agree with that, but I need to double check what it looks like first. It's got that like '80s vibe. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, I particularly like uh, the waistband, the shorts with the centered. That's my favorite yeah. detail. This has been this edition of Aesthetic Talk. <laughs> yeah, I hope you all enjoyed me talking about waistbands. Um, the Warriors. I mean, what do we say about the Warriors? How many wins have you got the Warriors? It's boring. Yeah, um, 65. Same, 65. Um, I just feel like they're going to come up against some more resistance and maybe some more hurdles this year than they necessarily did last year. You know what? Picking up on an aesthetic talk, I got, I'm going to go on a limb. I got a controversial opinion. I don't like that town jersey at all. Oh, I don't like it. Is that controversial? Everybody likes it. I do not. I think it looks awful. Awful? I mean... <laughs> that is my- it's not good. It's not appealing. I don't like their – they did the slate kind of – I think originally it was the Chinese New Year uh, version of a uniform, and then they just went with the slate base. I don't like that. They're blue and yellow. Keep it there. Don't mess with a good thing. It's not good. Why don't if they it, do yellow jerseys? Well, there was a thing there because they're in China right now as we record, and there was – I want to say it was a Warriors beat reporter that had, they took a picture of someone holding that jersey, but it was in blue. 
you know the warrior uh, one of the warriors colors and it looked great it would have i would have liked the jersey a lot more if it was blue except it is slate and i don't like it it is bad that is the most negative thing the warriors went through this offseason uh bar none bar none for what it's worth, I liked last year's slate jersey with the sleeves. I own it. It was the best sleeve jersey. Um, sleeve jerseys. No, I disagree. I disagree with that too. Best sleeve jersey was the Christmas Bulls with the. Bull I mean, logo. okay, if we're bringing Christmas jerseys into it, <laughs> come on, you gotta for that actual discussion. It's gotta be a jersey that's been worn more than once. You know, for an actual jersey, I think it was the best one. Um, the, look, the Warriors are better. I think that's the important thing here. But realistically, how much better can they be results-wise? I'm not sure. Um, which is reflected in Bono's go for 65 wins. At what point do you get kind of law of diminishing returns here? Um, adding Henry Cassidy they're facing... is... But yeah, you know what? That's an excellent offseason. Well done. You're continuing to just pummel the rest of the NBA into the ground. But, you know, I think the it's the same as it has been. You know, that's all of that is great if you got a lengthy injury to one of Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, you're going to be challenged. I wonder... You know, last year, obviously, Durant was the one who had the, the lengthiest injury of any of those players. That almost suited them, and they were better when he came back because losing Durant was like, okay, let's just get back to what we were, you know? Yeah. They knew what they had to do. Now, Durant is a more central part of what they do. I don't know if that would be as brushed off as easily this year. And those other guys, too, like Draymond is never injured. I wonder what the, the Warriors looked like if Draymond missed any sort of time. Yeah. I'm not wishing it to happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but I mean, this is sport. This is the NBA. Chances are at some point injuries come to bite you. And I think fully healthy. I mean, the Warriors are more unstoppable than ever. It's just whether they can continue a run of, you know, they've had injuries, but they haven't been struck down with the worst injuries or timing or the length of the injuries has generally been kind enough that everyone was back when it mattered. Whether that can happen again is kind of just, that's the big question. Like, they're they're still the obvious favorite. There's no one who can come close to them. They're 99% certain to win the NBA championship, but there is always a chance. And I, I just... I don't know. It feels to me like on teams like this, like this team is just... This team is so dominant that being that dominant at some point will just... I don't want to say grow tiresome because that sounds ridiculous, but for focus and motivational purposes, you can be a great team and be dominant in terms of you're coming out at the end of the season with a championship, but you're being pushed much closer throughout the year. And I, I sort of wonder, with the Cavs even slipping back, whether they feel they'll have that challenge and whether complacency could become an issue for them. If it's not this year, at some point, I think that will happen. That's just a natural human instinct. 
I'm very interested to see how the season plays out for them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I say all of that again about a team that both of us picked to win 65 games, as if that's a normal thing. Yep. <laughs> Just a casual 65-win season. Okay, so that does it for this particular episode. I hope you enjoyed our Western Conference breakdown and all of our predictions. We'll be back next week to talk through the Eastern Conference. Also, on that podcast, I guess we'll run through MVP predictions, all the various award predictions, plus pick our various NBA winners for the year. In the meantime, you can make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. You can check out mine and Jordan's books writing on BehindTheBookPass.com. And we'll be back with you very soon. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.